Ed, I am not Floyd. I think you would have figured that out pretty quickly. Um, but it is a pleasure to be up here bringing you God's Word this morning. This is an 11th hour sermon. And as such, I'm really excited. Why? Because there's no way that this is going to be because of me. There's no way that this sermon is going to be good because of me. Because of that, I'm going to go to prayer right now. So would you pray with me? Our Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are good and that you love us. Lord, we thank you that you will hold us fast. We thank you that we can now come to your altar. And Lord, it's all for your glory. Be with us this morning. May our hearts and our minds be open to your word. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, may these be your words, not my own. And may they transform our hearts. May they transform our lives for the sake of this world, for the sake of your kingdom. To you be the glory forever. Amen. So thinking about what to preach this morning, I say, well, what have I been thinking about lately? What has been on my heart lately? And it's a new year, and with a new year um, comes great excitement for me because I always try to do something new in my devotional life. You see, I usually read the Bible in a year, and lately I've been reading the Bible in a year, and it, it's been a lot of quantity, but it hasn't been a lot of depth for me. And I said, this year I need, I need some depth. I need to dig deeper into God's Word instead of reading a lot of God's Word. So I've been reading through Galatians with the help of Tim Keller's little devotional commentary called Galatians for You. So we will be looking in Galatians 1. And we're looking in Galatians 1 because that's as far as I got before God hit me in the face with a 2 by 4 saying, this is important. This is important. Galatians 1. So, church, you get to join in being hit with the divine 2 by 4 this morning that God has hit me with. Galatians 1. We're going to be looking at the first... What did I just what did I say? One one through nine, the first nine verses of Galatians. If you're in the Pew Bible, it's on page eight twenty-three. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Galatians one one through nine. Paul writes, Paul an apostle sent not from God nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Here's what I want you to see in this text this morning. A gospel without grace is no gospel at all. 
A gospel without grace is no gospel at all. If, you, if you've spent any time in Paul's letters or studied Galatians just a little bit, something should jump out to you right away. And even, I tried to read it like this, but it's hard to read it. I think, I think you pick it up, though. Unlike letters such as Romans, such as 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians that have a certain structure to the way Paul begins his letter, here he skips something that we're expecting to see. He skips a word of thanksgiving for the church. And that stands out. It stands out because, as we see in verse 6, it's kind of abrupt. He gets right to the point. He has something important that he needs to talk about. It's not that he's not thankful for the churches in Galatia. It's that he has something that he just can't wait to talk about. What does he say? He says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. It's, it's as if Paul, as he's getting to the thanksgiving part of his letter, is so overcome by the shock and the astonishment of what they are doing that he just can't help but get to the point right away. See, in, in Galatia at this time, there were false teachers that were saying, look, the gospel that Paul gave you is fine, but it's not, it's not the full gospel. It's not complete. It's only a part of the gospel. What you really need to have the gospel is Jesus, plus you have to keep all the law, plus you have to keep doing Jewish rituals, you have to keep going to the temple and sacrificing, you have to keep the, the purification laws. He said, so, so Paul was, was okay. He did a good job, but he only gave you a part of the gospel. Here's the rest of it. And for many, that, that doesn't seem to be too far different than what they believe. So, sure enough, they said, okay, I can buy that. You know, I, I was Jewish, and here comes Paul saying, I have to believe in Jesus. And now I'll take Jesus, and I'll just add what I've always been doing to that gospel. But whether it happened quickly in relation to the time that they had heard the gospel and, and the time they had deserted it, or whether it happened quickly because they were so quick to abandon the gospel— Paul is both amazed and upset by the news of what, he's hear, what he hears here. You see, they had become, in Paul's words, deserters of the gospel. The word translated deserted here was often used to depict military desertion, having to do with the abandonment of loyalty from one party to another. Paul's implying several things by using this word here. He's, first, he's saying they've abandoned their loyalty to God for the sake of another. Paul later says that it's not like they gave up following one good way for the sake of another good way. No, instead they've given up freedom for slavery. They've given up life for death. And that's his second point in, in using the word desertion here. At that time, if you were a deserter in the military, that, that general, that, that king would come and find you and you were dead. You were dead. The penalty for desertion was death. And Paul's point here is the penalty for desertion is death. But not because he's going to come find them and take care of them. Not because God is going to come find them and take care of them. But because by abandoning the gospel of the grace of Christ, the path they were choosing would lead to death. Paul justifies his anger and his astonishment. They have chosen slavery and death when they had been given freedom and life. 
And if Paul finds this to be such a big deal, then I think it's worth spending the time this morning to explore it ourselves so that we do not find that we are accused of the same thing that the churches in Galatia were. So with our time this morning, I want to first look at what Paul says the gospel is and then go to a few brief words of warning about what the gospel is not. First, what is the gospel? If, as Paul says here, abandoning the gospel makes their faith null and void, leading to slavery and death, then we need to know what the gospel is that we must keep. Now, the word that we get the word gospel from, I know many of you know this, we also translate as good news. It's the word that we get the word evangelism from. It was primarily used to refer to the message sent by a herald to declare that something had happened to rescue or deliver a people from peril. I think that's a helpful reminder because it helps us to not get caught up in the extracurricular of what the gospel results in, but helps us focus on what the gospel is. It is the proclamation that something has happened to rescue or deliver a people from peril. And our gospel is no different. Our good news is no different. Now, if you read the beginning, the verses 1 through 5 of this as an introduction, we, we often miss that Paul is subtly inserting what the gospel is here. He says, hey, here's the gospel, and you've left it. You've left it. He says here in verses 3 to 5, he says that the good news that we have is about the grace and the peace given to us by the Father through Jesus Christ, who gave himself, why? To rescue us, for what purpose? Because of his will and for his glory. I'm going to say that again. The good news we have, according to Paul here in these verses, is about the grace and peace given to us by the Father, through Jesus Christ, who gave himself, why? To rescue us, for what purpose? Because of his will and for his glory. He says all of that, verses 3 to 5. Let's say it another way, though. The gospel, then, is good news, not good advice, not a good suggestion. Good news, announcing that we have been rescued or saved. And it is the good news about what was done by Jesus to put us in right relationship with God. The gospel is not a set of moralistic expectations or code. It's not a list of traditions to follow. It's not a description of a lifestyle to live. It is the good news that we have been rescued by Jesus Christ. Yes, some of those things are results of the gospel, but they are not the gospel itself. The gospel itself is that you were dead in your sins. You were unable to be reconciled to God on your own. But God sent Jesus to do what you couldn't do by dying for those sins on the cross. So now, as a result of grace, through faith, you are saved from, the, from that death that you deserved. Tim Keller says it this way. I think it's helpful. He says, The gospel then is preeminently a report about the work of Christ on our behalf. That is why and how the gospel is salvation by grace. The gospel is good news because it is about a salvation accomplished for us. Church, the second that your gospel 
becomes Jesus plus anything, Paul says you've made it null and void. You've made it not good news at all. And we're going to look at that in a minute. Grace alone through faith is the good news. Anything else cannot save you and is therefore not good news at all. It reminds me of this story I heard about a conference that was taking place many years ago. And at this conference, they were, they were arguing about what makes Christianity unique among the worldviews. And some on this side said, well, I don't think God has ever come in the person of a man before, so that makes Christianity unique. And pretty quickly, some dissenters were able to say, well, no, there's some, there's some religions out there that say God came in flesh and did this. And so they said, okay, it can't be it. Well, the resurrection's pretty unique to Christianity. I think that's what makes Christianity unique. And again, more people came and said, no, we, there's other religions that believe in, in being raised from the dead and life after death. So it's probably not the resurrection. And, and the great C.S. Lewis walks into this conference late, of course. He walks in late and he sits down. And he goes, so what's going on here? What are we talking about? And I said, well, we're, we're talking about what makes Christianity unique. And without even hesitating, he just immediately comments, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. Grace is what makes Christianity unique from every religion. Grace is what makes Christianity unique from any worldview that's not religious. The world says you get what you deserve. The world says if you want to be pleasing in someone's eyes, you have to earn it somehow. Christianity says you could never do enough, but Jesus did it in your place. And now you are pleasing in his eyes. It seems so simple on paper. But as we see here in Galatians 1, it is sometimes so easy to make the gospel all about something that it's not. And if you do that, Paul says, you are left with no gospel, no good news at all. It is of utmost, utmost importance, then, that we do not sway from its message. Paul would say it's a matter of life and death. And if that's the case, then it's important for us to take what we have as the gospel and compare it to what we know are false gospels today. And there's three in particular. There's, there's many, 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 many out there. But there's three in particular I think we see often that I want to briefly talk about and touch on this morning. Three false gospels that we hear often in the church. The first false gospel we see today that goes against this gospel of grace is the teaching that beliefs don't matter as long as you are a loving and good person. I'm sure we hear that one a lot, right? It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter. Just be a good person, and that's, and that's all that matters. Be a good person, and God will look with favor upon you. This teaching just, it, it feels open-minded. It sounds loving. It seems so good, but it fails to be truly good news in two specific ways. First, it teaches that good works are enough to get to God. And second, it teaches that tolerance and openness to differences are in and of themselves what God needs to see to be pleased with you. But this teaching forgets our spiritual inability to save ourselves. It puts undue pressure and guilt on us to measure up to God's standards to obtain salvation for ourselves. I've talked with so many people who say, well, it's just, it's just about me being a good person, and God will accept me. And I said, well, what is enough? 
what is enough for God to say, you have done enough for, me to, for, for him to say, yes, now I am pleased with you. I, I live that life. I'm coming from that life where I just thought I had to do enough. And I would say, this surely is enough. And then the next day I would wake up and go, shoot, I don't think God's pleased with me again. I need to do more. I need to do more. And I was never, ever able to sit with joy about what Jesus had done for me. It felt like a burden. In this teaching, we actually don't need Jesus' death. We can do it all on our own. Grace is unnecessary. Jesus' death was in vain. That was nice that he did that, but you just have to be a good person. But when we remember, as Paul says in Romans 3, that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, we cannot do enough to be good in God's eyes alone. It makes the grace of God found at the cross of Christ all the more sweet and all the more amazing. I mean, how could we possibly sing the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, who saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see if we actually believe that we could do it on our own. Well, I said I was a wretch, God, but I actually, I feel like I'm an okay person, so thank you for dying, but I, I did most of the work. You just kind of topped it off for me. We have done nothing to contribute to our salvation. It has been Christ alone. Being a good person or thinking the right way is not the gospel. Again, even though it may be results of the gospel, it is not the gospel. The gospel is the news of what Jesus did for us on the cross because of what we couldn't do for ourselves. So that's the first one. The first false teaching is just be a good person. Beliefs don't matter. The last two, I think Tim Keller puts them appropriately. He calls them two equal and opposite enemies of the gospel. The first one is legalism. This one at first glance sounds like what we just talked about. But the difference I see is that that false teaching says good works will save you. And legalism actually says now that you are saved, good works will keep you that way. And we just sang about it, didn't we? He will hold me fast. Not my good works will hold me fast. Not the way that I dress, the way that I live, the, the amount of times I come to church. Not, that doesn't hold us fast. Jesus Christ alone holds us fast. I, I like to think of this one as the belief that Jesus died to give us a second chance to do good works in order to be saved. Jesus died, and, and I'm thankful for that. But now, in order to really, you know, really be saved, I just have to keep doing good works. I have, to, I have to live up to a certain standard, or God will be not pleased with me anymore, and I'll lose my salvation. And I have to admit, we might not think of this as classic legalism, but we often talk and think like this at times. We fall into the trap that says, you believe in Jesus? That's great. Now, part two of your salvation is to do this stuff on this list, or God won't be happy with you. But the good news of the free grace of the gospel becomes a burden when we preach and teach, well, now that you are saved, you must please God by doing the right thing. Brothers and sisters, the gospel says that you are saved by your faith in Christ alone. That's it. 
What must I do to be saved? Believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, the fruit of our salvation will be evidenced through living in the image of Christ. But if, and, and I should say when, you mess this up at times, you are still saved. Legalism says when you mess up, you better get right or God will not save you. The gospel of grace says when you mess up, fall back into the arms of Jesus Christ because he has saved you and he still loves you and he's still working on you. In case you can't tell, this one I'm, I'm particularly sensitive to because I feel that it, it just it robs the joy of our salvation by putting unnecessary guilt on whether we are doing enough now to please God. But guess what? God is pleased with you in Christ because of his substitutionary death. If you don't live up to that standard every day, God is still pleased with you because of Christ and because of his death. Don't fall into the trap of thinking God will be on again, off again, happy with you based on your actions. Remember that when the Lord looks at you to determine whether you are worthy of salvation, he doesn't see your works, whether good or bad. He only sees Christ's work on the cross. And because of that, we can now live a life of freedom in the Spirit to do all that he has created us to do for his glory and for the good of this world. But those who react strongly to legalism or mishear what I just said often fall into this second common false teaching, this opposite, this equal and opposite enemy that Tim Keller talks about. And this is called antinomianism. Don't need to remember that word. Antinomianism. Anti means against, right? No, against. Nomianism comes from nomos, which means law. All you need to know is it means no law. It's the opposite of legalism that says you're saved, so now keep, keep doing all these good works to remain saved. This one says you're saved, so you don't have to do anything. You're saved. Go live however you want because you're saved. So the first teaching says... Who cares about what you believe? Just be a good person. The second says, now that you believe, you must be a good person for God to be pleased with you. This third one says, now that you believe and are saved, you're free to do whatever you want. Live however you want. Jesus saved you. He'll forgive you. He has forgiven you. Just live however you want. But Paul addresses all these false teachings throughout all his letters. He's talking particularly about legalism in Galatians here, if you keep reading through the letter of Galatians. But he disputes antinomianism in Romans 6, 1 through 4. Here Paul says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. There is freedom in the gospel, but that freedom is not to have a free pass to live however we want. True gospel freedom is to now live as we were created. It's to please God. It's to care for his creation. It's to love one another sacrificially. Not in order for God to be happy with you, but because 
of the salvation you now have. In this sort of ironic way, the gospel frees us from the burden of having to do good works for salvation by allowing us to do good works as a result of our salvation. I'm going to say that again because I think that's important to hear. It's ironic, but the gospel frees us from the burden of having to do good works to earn salvation by allowing us, by freeing us, by filling us with the power of the Spirit in order to do good works as a result of our salvation. If you fall victim to that first teaching, you will show that you do not think Christ's sacrifice was necessary. If you fall victim to the second, you'll believe that Christ's sacrifice was ultimately not enough to please God on your behalf. And if you fall into the third, you prove that you do not understand what the call of a disciple of Jesus Christ is and have become indistinct from the rest of the world who do not even believe it. No matter how you look at it, Paul's point still rings true. A gospel that is not based on grace is not good news at all. So why does this matter so much? Why does it get Paul so worked up in his letter to the Galatians where he can't even get a thanksgiving out? Why am I going on and on this morning about the importance of, of being rooted in this gospel message? Well, I'll let Paul answer it from our passage this morning with three reasons from the text. First, he says, if we don't hold to the gospel of grace, we are deserting the one who called us out of darkness and into light. I mean, can you imagine living for a king who goes and fights on your behalf, who goes and defeats all your enemies, who brings you freedom, who gives you everything you could ever possibly need just for you to turn and say to that king, you know what, I think I'm actually going to go, I think I'm going to go live in this kingdom where this king wants me to fight my own battles. That sounds better. That, that would be preposterous. That would be ridiculous. But when we forget the gospel of grace, when we fall into that natural tendency, and I think it is humanity's natural tendency to feel that we need to do the right thing in order for God to be pleased, it's as if we're saying to God, that battle you fought on the cross was not enough. I have to do more. Why would we desert the gospel of the Lord that has a singing song such as Amazing Love? How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Church, don't desert our Lord and King who died so that you could have life and have it in full. Second, if we don't hold fast to the gospel of grace, we don't have good news at all. There is nothing to celebrate in believing we need to do good in order to please God. There is no good news in saying, now that I'm saved, I can continue to live a life that is harmful and is not the way intended for me to live in the first place. Again, I know, I know I sound like a broken record, but the good news of Jesus Christ is this, and it's only this. You are helpless, and you are lost. You are unable to do anything to save yourself, but God most important words in all of Scripture. Seeing this did all the work for you so that you can now live in freedom as a new creation the way that you were created to, filled with God's Holy Spirit for His glory and for the good of the world. Don't throw away the good news of the gospel 
for a fake. May the grace of Christ ever be sweet to us. And third and most importantly, Paul says a different gospel, a different good news, only brings about condemnation. I fear that we, we often think of God sitting around saying, you don't think this way or you don't act this way, so I'm condemning you. But what we really see here is that when we choose to believe a different gospel than the gospel of grace, we decide, in essence, what we want. And God is, is kind enough to say, I will give you whatever you want. I have given you the opportunity for eternity in my presence, and all you have to do is believe. That's the gospel of grace through faith. But so many of us want to do something else, and he says, okay, okay, you can have it. A lot of people say that's unloving. I think that makes sense. You can have it. If you don't want that, have what you want. It's walking away from me. It's walking away from my presence for eternity. But if that's what you want, then you can have it. God isn't vindictively sending people to hell. He is allowing people to have exactly what they want. And Paul says here, by deserting the gospel of grace, God's allowing us to have condemnation if we want it. So I know, again, I took the two-by-four that hit me, and I've kind of swung it back at you guys. But I think that this is important. I, I, I believe with all my heart that we need to get this right before we can talk about anything else in this church. If we don't truly believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that he has died for us because we couldn't do it ourselves, and that is what we are finding our joy in every morning. That's what's waking us up in the morning, saying, yes, God, I am pleased by you, even though I messed up yesterday, even though I wasn't really living the way I was supposed to, even though sometimes my works aren't good enough, sometimes I go my own way, I am still saved, I am still loved, I am still worthy in your eyes because of Jesus Christ. If that's not what we believe, then church, we need to get it right. Hold firm to the gospel of grace. Do not desert it for something that cannot satisfy. Do not let yourself become agitated by false teachers. Instead, lean confidently on the good news that God loves you and is pleased with you because of Christ's work on the cross. You only need to believe in him and his great love for you, and a life of freedom and joy awaits. Let's pray.